Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. I hope everyone had a great summer after taking some time off from the podcast. We're back, and I am extremely pleased to present today's guest, a true veteran of the arts. I'd like to welcome Catherine Maglitt to the show. Catherine is currently the exec- executive director of the Weiss Center for the Performing Arts at Bucknell University. The Weiss Center is a leader within the regional and national performing arts community, presenting more than 30 professional performances each year, in addition to hosting department and university lectures. Prior to this role, Catherine was the Director of Performing Arts at Hamilton College in Clinton, New York. She was the Executive Director at Piri's Egyptian Theater in Ogden, Utah, the Director of Performing Arts at the Sun Valley Center for the Arts in Sun Valley, Idaho, and the Center Series Director at the University of Massachusetts Fine Arts Center in Amherst, Massachusetts, which I have to say is a great state. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. But gosh, when you rattle off all those jobs, it makes me sound like I'm about 200. So I know. Well, I don't know if I like feeling like the veteran here. Well, I should I, say, I mean, full disclosure for our listeners, it, it was all you know made up, right? Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yes, I'm. I, I'm You're right out of college. Well. Yeah, I just I keep stay where I stay working at colleges, so I'm always just right out of college. So there you go. Wrong a single lifelong learner. That's what I am. And anyway, so how are you? You were just at uh, Arts Midwest, which I was not able to attend this year. How was it? It was good. It was good. I think Milwaukee is a fantastic uh, community, and uh, uh, what a fun what a fun place to hang out. Uh, I, I true confession. So I bolted out of the conference on Friday afternoon to take the train to Chicago to see my cubbies. Uh, you know, which, the, yeah, yeah, that was pretty awesome too. So all in all, a good trip. Yeah. Glad, glad, yeah. Did they win? They won, and uh, after 108 years, I think it is our year this year. I mean, you know, we're a little overdue, and you're in Boston, so um, you know, you you need to be pulling for us. You know, the the the, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, winning a, a few years back gave the Chicago Cubs fans, you know, hope. That's true. We broke the first, but now it's your turn. I don't know. Anything's possible. Yeah, it is. It is. So, anyway. So, anyway, well, great. So, again, thanks so much for taking the time to do this interview. Why don't we start? um, Tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you originally from, and and what initially got you into the world of the arts? Okay. I I was very fortunate to grow up in... uh, a large university town. My parents uh, both went to the University of Illinois and uh, loved it, and uh, they stayed. So uh, my father was an educational administrator, principal superintendent in a school district, and my mother was a reading specialist, but uh, they stayed in the community. We we eventually moved into the bedroom community uh, just outside of Champaign called Monticello, but it was a great place to grow up because, um, for one thing, you had access to all kinds of stuff. My parents weren't particularly interested in the arts, but uh, they're very interested in education and very interested in sports. I think that you know trickled down to all of us. Um, but being growing up on a campus, I had uh, I just had access and exposure, so um, I was able to take class, dance class with pretty amazing uh, dance artists, uh, 
and I was able to experience um, you know, fantastic music. Uh, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra played in my town. We could ride our bikes. That happened three times a year. Um, and I you know, had very early um, uh, interest in the performing arts, but, but um, I, growing up in a university community, you're sort of surrounded by the offspring of uh, ridiculously overeducated people who have all kinds of bizarre <laughs> interests. Uh, so there you are in the cornfields. And, uh, and um, I had a, uh, had a good friend who's, uh, whose mother was Japanese, and she had an interest in uh, kabuki theater. And so we were, you know, always sort of uh, involved in some way with the uh, uh, Shozo Sato, who is an amazing kabuki artist on uh, who taught at the University of Illinois. So I, I had a lot of I had a lot of access, and I have a lot of exposure. And I should say that that I grew up w- with Cran Art Center for the Arts, so one of the great university performing arts centers. But I think it was you know that was kind of a game changer, um, certainly in my childhood. So I had the you know ability or the the opportunities to study uh, dance and theater with uh, with really great people. I also studied gymnastics. Uh, my high school was about had about 800 people in it 200 of them were in uh music chorus and band which i think is a pretty high percentage um and again just being in a community with you know some kooky people so that 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 all sort of contributed into my uh to my interest in the arts for sure well, that's great. And so you mentioned dance and gymnastics. Did you ever play an instrument, or were you primarily? I did, but I was terrible. But you, I, badly, yes, badly. I, I took piano and I uh, and I played clarinet. But I'll have I have to tell you that um, I think that dancers feel that I mean they're either want to be musicians or they feel that they are musicians. But 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 we just experience music in a different way. So um, I had a boyfriend one time who or was who was a, a horn player, and we would we would be at um, at a chamber music concert, and he would be leaning forward and having you know just all ears, and I would be leaning backwards, uh, feeling the vibrations through my feet. It's very it was very interesting, and we sort of just looked at each other and go, "Why are you leaning forward? Why are you leaning back?" And 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 we had this you know moment where. Wow, we're we're having we're both experiencing this, but in just very different ways. That's interesting. I wonder if uh, most dancers would do that, or if that was just you. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I think that I think that dancers, I think they feel they are musicians. They're just they they're they're it's just uh, or they want to be musicians, but 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 we experience music in a different way. But yeah, but, I um, totally hear what you're saying. It, it's really interesting observation, something I never would have thought of, too. Well, that's because you're a music person, so you were leaning forward. It's, I'm always leaning forward, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when I was reading your intro there and, and just thinking about our conversation, one thing that really struck me was I'm always interested in, in someone like you who's, who has worked in the arts, but really in a variety of very diverse locations. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how that has influenced sort of how you approach programming, um, if it has at all. You know, for example, like what do you know now that maybe you wish you had known when you worked in, say, Sun Valley, Idaho, for example, or vice versa? Well, um, I think 
I think I'm very good at adapting to my set of circumstances. And I, I mean that in a positive way. I think I'm very... Uh, when I move into a new community, I uh, I tend to, or before I move, I tend to be the kind of person. I'm I'm less of a, a I'm really sort of an anti-tech person, but uh, but I I have to uh, uh, rely upon it uh, now that the world has changed so dramatically. But I tend to pick up things, and I tend to you know I always want to get a feel for the community, so I'm very uh, good about digging into um, to what what's available and what's in the surrounding uh communities and 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 who lives there and why they live there and uh um to try to get rounded that way and to see if the art center or the program that I'm directing what where are the gaps where can we what are the set of circumstances in which we can create the best uh sense of community because I think that's that's really probably the biggest contribution that the arts can make to society is creating a sense of community. So where, how can we best do that? What kinds of artists, what kinds of engagements will, will uh, you know, activate that in a, in a really positive way? So I, I will tell you, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I've sort of learned that uh, intuitively along the way. Sometimes you can't just sort of drop the same program into a different community without without contextualizing it, and maybe it just simply won't work at all. Uh, when I moved from uh, Hamilton College to Ogden, Utah, how about that for uh, cultural change, um, it became pretty clear to me that there was a very robust roots uh, world music scene that happened during the summer months because people were out and there were all kinds of traditional music festivals and world music festivals, and um, I don't know if you've come across a guy named Casey Jarman. I'm Na- not. N- name ring a bell, but he used to uh, produce uh, a wonderful series that was in downtown Salt Lake, and, uh, it, um, oh gosh, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it, w- w- was, every, it was every week uh, during the summer, and he had great uh, artists that came through there, and then he also did another festival called the Living Traditions Festival. But Frankly, he had laid the groundwork for some, you know, some pretty terrific um, uh, audiences for for roots or traditional or world music. So he he'd actually done quite a bit of uh, the groundwork in creating um, um, a, a baseline, uh, uh, a base for uh, for people coming up for that music. So I have to say, right there, I just looked at that and went, but what's happening from September to May? Oh, hey, I'll put that in my theater. <laughs> so that was sort of the first, uh, you know, line of thinking for programming during uh, during this. I guess what what we would call the academic year in Utah is to sort of see, well, is anybody doing this in the uh, in uh, what you know would be considered the off season? And so that's sort of where we that was that's where I started at that job. So um, anyway, that seems like it kind of a cheap, easy way <laughs> to transfer audiences. But I think it's it's um there are a lot of things to to factor in when you're when you're putting together a season and trying to make um your programs relevant for, for your community. Yes, and 
That's a good segue because when you talk about the role of uh, the arts, specifically a, a fine arts center for the community, it seems like the possibilities are endless. And you previously gave me a really great example of something you guys are doing this coming season, which I was hoping you might talk a little bit about. And am I getting this correct? It's yeah. essentially called the Cole series. Or Cole Collection the- Series, that's right. Um, and I think this is also a good example of how um, an artist or a group of artists um, who are exploring a certain topic or perhaps a certain uh, region of the world or country can really inspire an entire um, an entire series of uh, of uh, uh, programs and projects that uh, connect people to their region. But um, as of yesterday morning, uh, Bang on a Can composer Julia Wolf uh, won a MacArthur Genius Award um, um, for for her body of work. But but uh, I think a large part of that was her Pulitzer Prize winning piece called Anthracite Fields, which I was fortunate enough to see. I think. Two years ago, it premiered at the Mendelssohn Society in Philadelphia, and Julia had done uh, is from Pennsylvania, and she had done research in the uh, in the Pennsylvania anthracite coal region. Bucknell University, the Weiss Center, actually sits in between two of these anthracite uh, coal regions. So, so we're right you know, straddled or in between these two regions. And it's a magnificent work. It's, uh, it really celebrates uh, the, the rich cultural heritage of the, of the region. It uh, uh, addresses a, a remarkable and complex immigration experience. Um, it celebrates and highlights the lives of these uh, people who came looking for a better world and and the hardships and the determination and, and all this amazing energy that they um, they they put into the work. So so frankly, this country could grow. And um, anyway, I saw the piece was moved to tears. As it turns out, uh, a theater artist who lives about 30 miles away, Laurie McCants, with the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, um, helped Julia Wolf. Uh, meet some of the coal miners and introduced her uh, to uh, some of the folks that she worked with when she was developing a play called Hard Coal um, several years ago. So in any case, there there was some groundwork uh, that was already, there were some connections that were already in place. Uh, but I brought the idea back to the staff, and we decided to have a couple of brainstorming sessions. And it became clear almost immediately that we just could not do this one performance. That was not going to be enough. And the more we spoke with people, the bigger the project got. <laughs> and um, ha- over half of the staff at the Y Center has coal mining roots. So that was kind of another interesting thing um, that we've uncovered. So anyway, in the course of about a year and a half, we're, we were working with another entity on campus, the uh, play studies uh, program for Bucknell's Center for Sustainability and the Environment. That's kind of a mouthful. But anyway, uh, we've put together a year-long program that includes films and uh, traditional music. Last night we kicked off the performance piece of this uh, this uh, project with uh, a concert 
with the great uh, accordion player Guy Klusevic and some singers uh, from the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble who uh, put together these, these coal mining songs. Uh, that was in the lobby at 6 o'clock. And then at 7.30, we had a local uh, singer, songwriter, uh, science teacher extraordinaire who named Van Wagner, who uh, did a set on coal mining songs. And then we uh, finished the evening out with a band out of Scranton area, which is the other anthracite coal region, called the Coal Town Rounders. So we had foods that were... Um, we had a reception after the concert uh, and highlighted foods from the region. So pierogies and something called uh, soupies. I didn't know what that is, but it, it seems to be like coal region beef jerky, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, calvassa, uh, some of these pastries. Anyway, but we, we wanted to try to make this as authentic as possible. And, uh, and then across the, the Y Center balcony, we secured flags of all the that represent all of the uh, ethnicities that uh, that immigrated to this region. So we've got a Welsh flag up, and an Irish flag up, and an Italian flag up, and a Lithuanian flag up, and you know Polish flag. So it just goes on and on. So we we really are creating a a a, a sense of regional. Um, I, I, we're celebrating. Um, a region and it's and it's an amazing history. So anyway, throughout the year we're going to be having lectures and um, films and talks and um, uh, we're talking about the Molly Maguires. I don't know if you're familiar with the Molly Maguires, but they were uh, Irish uh, coal miners who um, there's some question as to whether they were terrorists or just trying to you know. Uh, organize uh, the mining unions uh, in the area, but um, so we're doing a, 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 a program on them. We're doing Coal Region's sports talk. Uh, in 1925, there was a group of miners from a town up the road called Pottsville, Pennsylvania, uh, who won the uh, national, but I guess it would have been the NFL championship. Uh, they were called the Pottsville Maroons. Is that crazy? 1925 NFL. Wow. And they were coal miners during the week. Oh, wow. And they played football on the weekends. <laughs> and the story Friends is the that they won the championship. And I know, does this sound like a does this sound like a movie waiting to be made? I was going to say, uh, it sounds like a George Clooney movie waiting to be made. Doesn't it? I know, yeah. And, um, and there's a still tremendous pride in the region over the, this uh, the story. But anyway, they they won the championship, and they I guess part of the uh, terms was that they you know couldn't play any college teams. But on their way back, I think this was in Chicago, they played a college team just for money, and they stripped them of the title. And um, but the other team who who they had beaten in the championship refused to accept it. So in 1925, there is no champion. Anyway, crazy stuff like that. So, uh, um, and then we'll end with uh, Julia Wolf's uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning Anthracite Fields. So I, I, I'm looking at it. We put together a brochure, and I think there's, oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 programs on top of our presenting series about coal. And already people are coming forward with more ideas. So I don't know. We may do coal for the next five years. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a great example of how far you can take this creative idea for the community. And what I, I'm, 
I love hearing you describe this because one of my ultimate goals, really, I think, for this podcast is, since the primary audience is other presenters, having an opportunity for people to share unique things that they're doing. And this is a great example of that. Um, we're Yeah, we're just yeah. creating a platform for people to share their stories, but but they're incredible stories. Um, and as I said, we just had uh, the opening night concert last night. We uh, put out a journal, and we've asked people to write uh, – the, it, if they were a coal miner themselves, and there are people who were in the audience who uh, were coal miners, uh, to write their name, um, or if it was a relative, um, to write to write the the relative's name, then their relationship, and then the coal mine where they worked. And we're getting all kinds of entries from, you know, this region, from uh, West Virginia, uh, Kentucky region. Um, incidentally, our associate provost at Bucknell uh, comes from a coal mining family in West Virginia, and his father was the the, the union president. Um, so la- uh, earlier this week, we screened the film Harlan County, USA, which was a, a wonderful Barbara Koppel uh, documentary about the union strikes uh, in Harlan County, uh, Kentucky, and he introduced the film. And I think it was really meaningful, especially to the students who saw him in a totally different light when he told uh, the audience that he's, his home was not didn't have running water or electricity until he was about eight years old. Wow. And that and that his father, you know, still wonders why he doesn't have a real job, even though he's the associate provost at Bucknell University. You know, he should be working in the mines. <laughs> 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 kind of crazy, um, but uh, yeah, it's. Re- I think it's really the the stories are really important, and um, it's. Um, we could we could uh, it, the sense of. Um, the sense that people's lives are being celebrated has just been really—it's um, been really visceral since we started this, and we're—we're we're just uh, you know a couple events into this, this whole um, year-long project. It sounds like it. What a great thing! One of the things I wanted to ask you about when we were sort of brainstorming for this episode was how you approach use, utilizing various performance spaces or. or what you have or what you don't have to, to make art possible. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about that, um, especially where you are now or maybe some of the previous places you were working. What kind of comes to mind as examples of figuring out unique performance spaces and how has that worked and how has that been challenging? Or what are your well, thoughts? I, I think um, – I think it's really short-sighted for presenters to to be limited by um, their the the capacity of their venues. Um, I the the primary venue at the White Center is 1,200 seats. Uh, we have a student population of oh, I think about 3,400. The town has. 6,000 people in it. I, it's sort of like the Performing Arts Center on steroids in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> what were they thinking? No, um, but it's, it's designed as a concert hall, and um, and it's a beautiful, a beautiful space. I think um, at the time that it was built, it was uh, they were um, 
looking at uh, Boston Symphony Hall uh, as a, as a model for it. But and it's it's a gorgeous space. But you know, presenting and the and art forms have evolved dramatically um, since since this was this uh, venue was built about 30 years ago, and. Um, we can't do we do a couple of orchestra we present a couple of orchestras each year but we'll never do um them every week and so we have to be really um and this space is not particularly well suited for dance although we you know we squeeze it in there and punch it in uh to the best of our ability um but i wanted to do other kinds of artists because and to make sure that they that they were able to do their best work in spaces and venues that were suitable, so we have uh, we started opening up the season uh, with a couple of performances on the plaza area. So we uh, we have facilities drop a stage, and we open the season um, with the statement: everybody's welcome. It's free. Let's let's you know let's all have a shared uh, music and cultural experience together and it's a great sort of bonding um, event for the campus and the community so people bring their lawn chairs and um, their picnic baskets and um, and we we've had a variety of really fun bands out there we had the just had the bumper Jacksons we had red Barat, red Barat um, uh, we had the Red Mollies, Slavic Soul Party, No BS Brass, um, and anyway, a variety of artists out there. So it's that's really a, a more of a community event. And typically, we draw five to seven hundred people out there. So in our small town, that's you know that's like I don't know, it's like the Super Bowl. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we also uh, started uh, renting. Um, uh, theater downtown in downtown Lewisburg, right on the the, uh, the main street, which is Market Street. It's an adorable Art Deco uh, movie theater that's been restored. Um, 340 seats. It's set up for uh, film, but uh, if you're really careful, we can squeeze uh, artists uh, on the stage. So we've been presenting oh jazz there or some world music artists. Usually we're down there about six times a year. So um, this year we let's see who's down there. Edmar Castaneda, Tanya Tagak has been down there. Uh, Birds of Chicago, gosh, Wycliffe Gordon we've had down there. Um, a bunch of folks, and that's a really fun uh, venue too because we've got the marquee uh, for the campus theater, and then directly across the street, my colleague at the uh, Samic Art museum uh, has a downtown gallery so we've sort of uh, trained people to to leave the venue uh, immediately uh, following the concert uh, the artists come over there and we have a reception at the gallery which is uh, just uh, just across the street so that's become kind of a fun community gathering place and then we've also uh, made creative use of the 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 Weiss Center lobby so we built a stage extension. We've got a gorgeous uh, spiral staircase, and we're we're uh, having artists there uh, perform there. So anyway, it it opens up many more presenting possibilities. Um, each venue has its own challenges, but um, 
we just can't put a, a lovely accordion guitar duo in a 1,200-seat venue. Uh, but it will be beautiful and perfect in our atrium lobby this this next week. So um, that sort of speaks to setting up um, performance spaces that are that will work for artists, um, and so they feel that there's an audience with them. And you know, 300 people in our lobby is is fantastic, but 300 people in a 1,200 seat concert hall feels like you know 16. Right. Absolutely. Those are some really great examples of how you can get creative. Is there what sort of challenges come up when you try and do that? I mean, what what advice would you have for other presenters listening in terms of how to approach utilizing a unique performance space outside of their traditional venue? Well, I'll, I can give you a really good example. So this this uh, campus theater, which is in downtown um, Lewisburg, has no dressing room. So uh, we, you have to be very clear about what it is. We've, we've been um, very proactive in, um, and, and also with the lobby and in um, the, uh, the outdoor shows. We, we take photographs, so uh, when working with the managers and the artists, they know exactly what they're walking into. I mean, the staff here does a great job of taking care of people in terms of you know, publicizing the events and uh, in operations and handling their technical needs and hospitality and all that. I have, you know, complete confidence in in how those things roll out. But kind of convincing people on the phone of how that's going to work uh, oftentimes requires some visuals. But at the downtown uh, venue, the campus theater, there is no dressing room. And so you're sort of hanging out in a hallway before. So we, we've made arrangements with a hotel just a block or two away, and that's and we explain that is your dressing room. Um, you you just walk down the street. Uh, we will have you know um, a little bit of room for you, but but mostly you're in the hallway. But it works, okay? We're, we got you on this. May sound weird, but these are the set of circumstances, and I I don't think we've had any uh, blowback with anybody once once we've we're clear from the get-go, but but uh, actually snapping photographs of what what you're walking into is is uh, has been really helpful. Absolutely, yeah, that's great. Um, well, let me ask you this: We're in September now. You talked about the coal series, and I'm curious um, if there's any any artists that you've heard lately that um, have you really excited, or anybody you recommend that our listeners check out something that might be new that you, you know, that you recently came across. I'm always wondering what people are listening to and, and uh, if you have any recommendations to that end. You know, I am, um, people always ask me, what was your favorite show? But so once things are over, they're over for me. Um, and so I don't, I won't, re- I remember really what what we did last week but in terms of what I'm I'm pretty active about going to see work all the time um and I think that's really important to do um you know I read a lot of publications and I listen to uh as many um as much music as I can um but I have to say I'm 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 really big on uh Michelle Dorrance right now who is a tapper, 
and uh, she was here, I guess, a year ago. And uh, this is an amazing artist. Um, but she, but when I was uh, just to circle back, I mean, she's a percussionist. It it just happens in her feet, not in her, you know, not in her, her hands and arms. Um, and so I think she's one to keep an eye on. Uh, she she got her MacArthur, I think it was last year. But she's so incredibly musical, and um, and I'm really appreciating her work. I think she's just on the road to taking tap dance to a whole new level. Um, and she, one of the, my most favorite uh, the pieces I've seen recently is a collaboration she did with Toshi Regan called the Blues Project. And I mean, you can't go wrong with Toshi um, on anything ever. <laughs> Uh, she's just a tremendous uh, powerhouse musician, singer, and uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm looking for our, for all kinds of interesting things to be uh, to be uh, coming from Michelle Dorrance in the next several years. I'll definitely check her out. I'm not familiar. How, how do you spell her last name? D O R R A N C E. Dorrance, Michelle Dorrance. Michelle Dorrance, and uh, her brother uh, is is in her ensemble as a, as a musician. Um, and just to talk about these, just to follow up on the odd connections that you get, we had a um, had an engagement with her last year. Her father happens to be the uh, I guess the winningest women's soccer coach in the country. He's the the uh, women's soccer coach at uh, at uh, is it UNC? Uh, no, uh, I'm sorry, Chapel Hill. I'm sorry, uh, and um, and she has these funny stories about Mia Hamm coming over to her house because he recruited her, whatever. But 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 uh, I swear this is true. We had people in the audience who were there because they knew that she was his daughter. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yes, daughter, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, soccer dads and soccer uh and young soccer girls coming and uh, we had a kind of an incredible uh post show discussion and uh and and part of the conversation quickly turned to her father. So <laughs> he was a soccer guru. I know, who knew? <laughs> any any marketing you can get is great. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it would just sort of um she was she was really able to eloquently um sort of transition to uh, the pursuit of excellence. So if you're going to do anything, then, then make sure that it's um, that you're doing it well. And that's something that she learned from her, her father. So it was, it was, it was a nice, nice exchange that people had, um, the connecting the dots there. Oh, that's great. Well, I think this would be a good place to sort of uh, wrap up our conversation. Um, you've shared some really great insight into creative programming. The Cole series just sounds like a great thing for the community and unique approaches to figuring out performance spaces outside of your traditional venue. Um, I, I really can't thank you enough for the time you took today to do the, the interview here. This has been wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And uh, I, I just sort of, you know, I think that one of the great joys of this this um, work, and I think it is uh, for many of us a calling, is that you really can dig in deep and um, um, really learn a lot about the region um, where you're living. Uh, 
I'm not a, a native Pennsylvanian by any stretch of the imagination. You know, my first experience in a coal mine was when the staff, we did some, you know, field trips this summer to get ready for the series. And, um, you know, I went down um, with uh, with the rest of the staff into the, the sort of, I wouldn't say it's tourist, but we, we went to one of these restored coal mines and got the coal mining tour. And, um, and uh, it, just having that sort of firsthand scary, spooky, I mean, what these people went through every day uh, to carve out a living and uh, is sort of overwhelming. But anyway, I'm just saying that, you know, if you – even if you grew up in you know central Illinois and you know with people who ate a lot of sweet corn, you can still get <laughs> coal. <laughs> coal can still be relevant to you. So there yeah. you have it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, I look forward to checking out uh, Michelle and some of the other artists you talked about. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Okay, thank you. <laughs>